This is episode number 44 of the Physical Therapy Business School podcast and in this episode I share with you a revealing interview with the superstar celebrity author Mike Michalowicz. We're talking about Profit First for Physical Therapists. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Physical Therapy Business School podcast. My name is Paul Goff, former professional soccer physical therapist turned successful business owner and author from the UK. Each week, we answer your questions and bring you an inspiring story or person from the global physical therapy community. This show is dedicated to helping great physical therapists become hugely successful business owners. Thanks for joining me today. Now let the class begin. So hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Physical Therapy Business School podcast. My name is Paul Goff. It is great to be here and speaking with you uh, live from Orlando, Florida. Um, hope you've enjoyed the last episode. Episode 43 uh, was Paul's new life in America. If you haven't listened to it yet, uh, check it out after this one. It's uh, business lessons that I'm uh, sharing with you from life lessons uh, since I moved to the US. A lot of uh, good things to share with you on the uh, last episode of the podcast. Uh, today is episode number 44 and this is uh, this is pretty big. Um, this is uh, a little different uh, to what I usually uh, do on the podcast. Uh, it's an interview, uh, which I don't really do many uh, interviews. And the reason I don't is because most podcasts are interview style. And I uh, figured I would do something uh, different with my podcast. But uh, for this guy, I've made an exception. Um, this guy is a superstar, celebrity, um, authority, whatever you want to call him in the small business field. I was very, very lucky to get uh, time with him. Uh, for this podcast today. Um, I'm talking to uh, a guy, and I'm going to let you listen to the whole interview, called Mike Michalowicz. You may know who he is. If you are in the small business, uh, you know, you like to read your books and you're just in and around anybody who loves business and, and is, you know, a keen student of business, then Mike Michalowicz. Uh, and more specifically, the book Profit First is probably somebody that you are already aware of and, and certainly um, should be. He is um, somebody that I've studied uh, meticulously myself over the last few years and adapted a lot of his uh, principles and his teachings into my business. And I'm very proud to bring Mike to this uh, podcast. Um, and moreover, uh, very proud to be able to announce that Mike's agreed to come and speak at an event that I'm hosting uh, in Nashville at the end of June, which is just great. I, uh, as you know, have a mastermind program and I'm always looking to, to kind of take it to that next level and uh, really help the students that I've got to just get better at this game of business. And um, no better way to do that than to bring in uh, people like Mike to the events to speak um, about his uh, field, his speciality, which is the numbers, the finance, the stuff that really spooks a lot of businesses and ultimately uh, making more profit into your business. As his book suggests, Profit First is about you, the business owner, actually making profit um, every single week, every single month, every single year and not waiting for some big payday at the other end. And that's much of what you're going to hear us speak about on this uh, podcast. So Mike, uh, he's also wrote Clockwork. He has wrote Pumpkin Plan. Uh, he's wrote obviously Profit First. He uh, has bought and sold businesses, uh, seven-figure businesses, um, 
multiple. Uh, he's wrote for the uh, Wall Street Times, uh, and he's also got a book called The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. So uh, this guy is pretty big, um, very very big. I'm I'm you know doing him a disservice to say pretty big. He's he's massive in the small business community, and I'm excited to have him not just on this podcast, but also speaking uh, on stage at my two day event in Nashville. So the event will be 29th and 30th of June. Now it's exclusively for the Mastermind members. So most of the people in the room will be in the Mastermind program. This isn't something that you can buy tickets to and it's not going to be any big sale and there isn't going to be any big, you know, come and watch Mike speak. However, with that said, um, what we are going to do is open up five, um, just five general admission seats um, for listeners of this podcast. I'm pretty sure uh, that most of you will love everything that you are about to hear and it's going to resonate with you in such a way that you're probably going to want to know more uh, and get close to this guy, speak to him, get yourself and your books autographed and all that type of stuff that uh, is obviously going to happen at the event. Uh, We're bringing a genuine superstar uh, to the stage in Nashville, 29th and 30th. So we're going to open up five general admission tickets alongside five guest passes, which is pretty much how we do this for all of my masterminds. Anybody who's taken any of my accelerator programs and my business growth uh, school program, you've been to my sales boot camp, um, you could qualify for a guest pass with a view to joining my mastermind. However, we're also opening up um, five general admission seats where if you just want to pay for a seat and you want to sit at the back and you just want to absorb everything that's going on, um, we're going to do this uh, for this one. So if you want to know more about that, paul at paulgoff.com and um, in the subject line, just put Mike uh, and general admission uh, seats and we'll give you all the costs, the information, how it works. Do it very quickly, um, like probably right now, because these seats, you will not hear me mentioning it again uh, on any of the podcasts or any time anywhere in the future. Uh, once this podcast airs, uh, this will be it. And the first five seats, they will uh, be gone. We have booked out a hotel in Nashville, uh, a boutique hotel. We've took over the entire hotel um, with every room we uh, own that weekend, if you like. So it's going to be epic. And the fact that it's in Nashville in the middle of June is just even better. Um, I'll be taking at least one or two trips to Broadway. Uh, that's for sure. So um if you love what you're about to hear, you're a fan of Mike Michalowicz uh, and you want to come to the event, there's two options for you to do it. Uh, one is a general admission uh, ticket, which is cool and it's just standalone and it is what it is. But if you're interested in joining my mastermind, there is another ticket called Guest Pass uh, that you can uh, take with a view to joining the mastermind full time. Uh, this is what I do in mastermind. Um, it's very, very different from most masterminds. We speak a lot about the numbers, the finance side of things, the real business end of business, making good decisions about your business. It isn't just all marketing. It isn't just hustle. It isn't just do more stuff and you know all sync come by are together it's not like that uh, it's very very focused on the business end of the business uh, and ultimately you making uh, making you a better business owner and um, the, the bringing Mike McCallowitz in is just the first step for us in uh, making these events um, very uh, what should we say next level uh, adding a little touch of celebrity and uh, expert status to these uh, events from outside of the community which um, which is pretty cool and it's exciting for uh, for us as a business uh, and, and exciting for the community that we've built. There'll be, uh, like I said, 150 of my mastermind in the room. 
um, with uh, room for five general admission tickets and five guest passes. So uh, you want to come and join us and you want to be part of the fun and you want to come and learn paul at paulgoff.com. Uh, please do it very, very quickly and get your seats uh, booked so that you uh, secure this place. Um, the recording will not appear on the podcast with Mike. Nothing uh, will be released. It's all staying in that um it's all staying in that room. So without further uh, ado, let me uh, introduce you to Mike. Uh, my story with Mike, or I'll tell you how I, I found him. Um, my story with Mike was the classic. It's the you know the business owner who uh, starts a business and thinks that everything resolves around marketing, and that that was me. I was world class at marketing, and and you know to this day I could. I, I, there's not very many people who will be able to get much past me when it comes to marketing and that was my blessing but it was also my curse that I could build a business and make money because I was a very good marketer I was very good at marketing and I was very good at sales and I've said this many times um, that was my problem it, it, it was because I was good at marketing and it was because I was good at sales that I just kept thinking that I could solve every problem I had with more new patients coming through the doors and that only gets you so far before you realize that you have to understand the numbers. Um, if you've been following my podcast, you'll hear me talk about critical drivers and strategic planning and annual planning and budgeting and forecasting and cash flow forecasting and so on. If you're a business owner and you're not plugged into these things, I, I'm going to say this candidly, I've no idea how you're running a business and and, and I wouldn't take me long um, to, to be able to piece together who the successful businesses are and, and who aren't. Um, there's a lot of people in business, but there's a big difference between being in business and being successful in business uh, and sustainably successful. And if you want the latter, which is sustainably successful, um, you have to move towards understanding the business end of running a business, strategic thinking, hiring, leadership, numbers, cash flow forecasting, um, having um, a resume and a process for um, dividing up the money that comes into your bank, uh, separating it out into different banks so that there's money for profit, there's money for expenses, there's money for the tax man, there's money for your salary. Uh, these are all disciplines that um, I was lucky enough to learn um, early enough. It was a few years of me being uh, painfully stuck thinking that all I needed was more marketing uh, before I realized that that was just getting me um, uh, into the same problem over and over again. Doing it okay, surviving, but I was making, uh, I was certainly working too hard for the money that I was making. So I was never pleading poverty, um, but my business was definitely stuck and I couldn't get it to that next level. Um, I've since gone away and figured out all of the things that you're going to hear us speak about on this podcast and more um, and plugged them into my physio business, into this media business, into an estate business um, and it's been the most liberating thing that I've ever done when it comes to running a business so th that's really where it comes from and what is pretty cool about this episode you're going to listen to me and Mike talk for 50 minutes 55 minutes and Mike will tell you about his background and how he came to evolve this concept called Profit Fast the next episode that you're going to hear in this sequence is actually a teaching that I did two years ago nearly in Orlando for the mastermind group at that point there was about 50 in my program and we did it at a hotel in Orlando and I uh, dedicated an entire 90 minutes back then to um, a segment called the piggy bank exercise the piggy bank exercise which was me basically adapting my teachings and teaching the room how I basically followed the profit first principle so that happened um, 
yeah, 18 months to, to two years ago now. Um, so it's going to be really cool to pull that out from the archives for you to listen to the next episode. So there's a few things that I want you to take from that. A, I practice what I preach. Um, and we've been doing this numbers thing and this business thing, you know, business business end of the business in the mastermind for a hell of a long time. Um, and is the reason that so many people are getting so good, uh, you know, such good results in the, in, in the mastermind program. So if you're ever tempted, you're ever sitting on the fence and you're always just listening to this podcast thinking this is great information, um, you've got to know that this stuff is going on. Like it's happening in a room with very smart businesses, all learning these principles and these concepts. And I've been teaching them for a hell of a long time, um, long before I was ever in a position to hire somebody like Mike Michalowicz, uh to come and speak at one of the events. So enjoy this episode. You'll hear us talk about um, how uh, to, to make more profit. Ultimately, how this concept called the envelope system um, works, where you're basically divvying up the money um, and how uh, you can distribute profit, um, what you should do with reinvesting money, how you should prepare to um, you know, to reinvest that money, um, the difference between owner's comp, you know, whether it's a salary and profit and why it's important to have uh, both, and also the first step. I push Mike on what's the first step that you can do if you're a business owner uh, to become more profitable. If you ever haven't pushed back from your bookkeepers or your accountants, they just don't give you the system that you want. You'll hear us talk about how to get over all of that uh, as well. We're going to talk about innovation facilitating growth and my absolute favorite line of Mike's, uh, which is baking profit into your business, which kind of really forces you to think about every single decision that you are making in your business and how it relates to you in some way, somehow making profit. I am frightened when I watch some businesses who will always tell me that they're playing the long game, playing the long game and playing the long game. And 15 years later, they're still playing the long game. And in the end, it became an excuse for not having to make crucial decisions um, about actually turning this business into profit and taking some money home it is the purpose of your business it is not mother Teresa's physio rooms it is paul goff physio rooms and as such um we're not a charity we actually have to make some money anyway that's just um a little taste of what's to come so um i'm going to hand you over to uh, the interview that i recorded with mike enjoy the show uh, be sure to listen to the piggy bank uh, exercise that follows this uh, in a week or two's time and if you want to come and uh, spend the weekend with me and my team and, and 150 very very smart pt business owners and mike mccallowitz 29th and 30th of june paul at paulgoff.com be very quick to snap up a general admission um, pass to be part of the fun enjoy the show So welcome to another episode of the Physical Therapy Business School podcast. It is uh, great to be here speaking to you live from Orlando and with me today, a very special guest. Uh, Mike Michalowicz is the author of Profit First, Surge, The Pumpkin Plan and his newest release, Clockwork. By his 35th birthday, Mike had founded and sold two companies, one to private equity and another to Fortune 500. Today, he is running his third multi-million dollar venture, Profit First Professionals. He is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and the former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. And over the years, uh, Mike has traveled the globe speaking with thousands of entrepreneurs. Uh, and thankfully, and uh, very gratefully, he is with us today to talk um, about his experiences um, and to share his knowledge with uh, the physical therapy community across the world. Mike, welcome. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. 
it's great to have you and it, it really is it's um your your concepts and philosophies on business are um i'm a i'm a true student of business and i and people who listen to this podcast it's called the pt business school podcast for yeah. a reason and i'm a I, i'm just in love with business and uh, for somebody who started out as a I, i'd have called myself a marketer when i first began in business and then i really kind of got the bug for the the business end of business and the finance side of it and understanding people and leverage and systems and all of the things that um a lot of people overlook in business so to have found your material was uh it's a godsend to have been able to read it and to um to mm. kind of absorb it i've studied all of your books so thanks for uh coming on it's great to have you tell us about your story so i obviously i'm familiar with you my inner community if you like my mastermind and uh people who are kind of uh close to me on coaching calls i've i've talked about you regularly uh but for people listening who don't know sure. you or your story um tell us about your story and in the context of how you discovered the Profit First concept. Sure, sure. So, you know, today I'm a full-time author, but uh, my prior life was as an entrepreneur. I still actually still own some businesses today, um, but uh, right out of college, start some businesses. I think the interesting thing in my story is, I'll give you the resume bullet points first, but it's actually the stuff you don't see in the resume. I think that's the power. So uh, my first company was in computer technology. I built that, sold that business to private equity. Second company was in computer crime investigation built that, sold that to a Fortune 500. Those are my bullet points of, of entrepreneurial success. But I, I think the really interesting thing was the in-between story. So as I built both those businesses, they were never profitable. Um, I was desperate to keep the business afloat. The stress was overwhelming. I was uh, refinancing my house just to get money out to cover payroll. But when I sold the companies, that's when I actually made my money. So I thought, oh, I'll start a third business as an angel investor. I'll start up all these companies simultaneously, pump them up and then dump them out and you know, pump and dump and I'll become a multi-billionaire. Well, what happened was I started this angel investing company and it was a disaster. Not because the concept was poor. I was the wrong person to do it. It had no right to be in that space. I didn't understand it. <clears throat> I was spending good money after bad and all of my personal wealth because I put everything I had into this business and also into my own arrogant ways. You know, I had to have the big house, the nice cars, all that stuff. I blew all my money within two years. Um, and by my, I think it was like my 35th birthday, a few years prior, I'd become a millionaire, self-made millionaire, and now I lost it all. And uh, I had to come home on, I'll never forget the day, it was February 14th, it's Valentine's Day, 2008. I got a call that morning from my accountant. His name is Keith, and he said, Mike, I think it's our professional opinion that you declare bankruptcy. Something I never even considered. I, I saw, Paul, I saw my bank account dwindling so fast. So logically, I knew the money was going, but I was, had this emotion that, or I was hope that one big client would finally make the turn for this business or that one big moment would happen. I was waiting for that one event. And it never happened. And uh, that's the day I had to go home to my family and tell them that we were going to lose our house, which we did, lose our major possessions, cars and stuff like that, which we did, um, and have to start anew. And um, as I'm telling my family this, sobbing, I was so ashamed and embarrassed about myself. I was so angry that I, I hadn't told my wife how bad it really was. And uh, they're sitting there sh shocked, stunned. And uh, my little daughter, she was nine years old at the time. Um, as I'm saying this, I have to look at her. I looked at her and said, uh, we, we can't pay for your horseback riding lessons. You know, $20 a lesson. Yeah. As I say, that, that was her passion, her one thing. I tore it away from her. 
she ran away from me as fast as possible. And that was like this dagger going into my heart of what an idiot and a, like a scumbag I was. But the thing was this, my daughter wasn't running away. She ran to her bedroom to get her piggy bank. And she ran back down to me as fast as she could run. Said, daddy, daddy, I'll be the provider for our family. And, um, that's, that was my rock bottom moment moment. It was, um, I, I felt this confluence of emotions this adoration and respect. And just couldn't believe that my little daughter stepped up her life savings. She wanted to buy a horse one day was something she would immediately sacrifice to support the one guy who didn't support the family to support me. And, um, it wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, Oh, I'm going to fix this. So I went through depression. I, I started boozing, you know, drinking a lot. I, I'm not really a drinker whatsoever, but I was that during, during that phase. And um, it, that triggered a slow change. Uh, there was flashes of moments and glimpses of, oh, I can turn this around. And it took me about two years. But I realized during that time, I don't know everything about entrepreneurship. I actually know very little. I, I'm not good with numbers. Uh, I, I, I didn't know how to really grow a business that wasn't dependent upon me. So I endeavored to figure it out. So I started writing, journaling. Those became kind of solutions for myself. When I discovered profit first, I applied it to myself. When I discovered these other methods, I applied them to myself. And then it became books that I wrote. And uh, today now, like I said, I'm a full-time author uh, for small business owners. My commitment is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. This, this perception of we're just tremendous success when we're really struggling inside. We, we have financial poverty. We have uh, time poverty. My goal is to resolve that. So that, that's who I am. What happened next then? So you, you had that two-year period and um, you mentioned you discovered Profit First. So kind of what happened there? How did you discover it? And then how did you begin to apply it? T tell me more about that. Yeah, so what I've been doing with my business, Paul, was I, was I saw Profit as a future event, that, that it would come at the end. I, I called it the bottom line, the, the yeah. exact vernacular we use, the year end. And what I would do is wait for the end of every quarter or more realistically, when I met with my accountant for tax preparation to see if there's any profit and there never was. Yeah. And it, I remember one time, actually I take it back. There was like 15,000 bucks. I was so excited. My it felt like butterflies. I'm like, finally I have a profit. And I asked him, where is it? And that's when he starts laughing. He's like, he goes, that's an accounting profit. You actually spent the money already. And that was another kind of knife to the chest. I thought profit came last. Yeah. In, in fact, the formula we use, we were all been told this is sales minus expenses equals profit. I now call bullshit on that because when profit comes last, it means it's an insignificant consideration. Like, listen, most people watching are in PT. Think about health. Like, do, do you want a patient coming in saying, you know what, I'm going to put my health last? Are they going to be successful? No. They have to say, I'm going to put my health first. I'm committed to addressing this. It's human nature. When something comes first, it gets done. And when something comes last, it gets, it's the perpetual manana syndrome. And that's what I realized was happening for me, that I had been putting profit last. I had this realization, I was actually watching a television program about physical fitness and started to learn some principles about physical fitness. One of the core principles about physical fitness is if you want to work out successfully, exercise, uh, for example, do it first thing in the morning. I was doing it the last thing at the end of the day, and there's always a reason not to do it. Do it the first thing in the morning. And that was the epiphany for me saying, oh my gosh, we need to take our profit first. And what I mean by this is every time, every time there's a sale in the business, I don't care if $1 comes in or $100, we immediately take a predetermined percentage of that money 
allocate it toward profit, hide it away, and then the remainder is what we run our business off of. It was this flip of the formula, sales minus profit now equals expenses. That was the epiphany for me. And, and I've been doing it for myself for oh, t- over 10 years and, and uh, wrote about it. My book released actually two years ago today at the 21st when we're recording this. It's, um, it's interesting. I've been uh, watching a few people online recently who have kind of conflicting views, if you like, um, sure. of, of, what, of what business is for whether it's like today do you take your money you know is it cash flow and then you kind of have somebody's opinion on it it's you know kind of reinvest everything and you get your big payday at kind of the end of the year or in 10 15 20 years yeah where i'm from in britain um it's kind of it's it's more in your favor so i'm obviously from england originally um even though i've got i've still got my businesses in england and i've got my businesses in in the u.s yeah and in england you get entrepreneurs relief when you close the business down at the end so when you actually start the business your, your, you, and everything that you're saying is kind of leading to what I see the problem in England with business owners, which is I'll get my payday in 15 to 20 years when I close the business down. Mm. So in England, you'd get a, a very small tax or like a night in comparison to some US states, 19 to 20% you'd pay on your corporate tax. And if you can keep the profit in the business, theoretically, you close the business down in 20 years and you only pay 10 or 12% on, on any of those profits. Mm. So every, everybody's mindset in England is kind of like, hold the money in the business and then in 20 years, we'll get a big payday. So right. there's no real, um, there's no real kind of, it, it's, it's, it, oh, I've kind of come here now to the US and I see the difference where it's like, I'm getting taxed as an LLC and it's like, well, I'm actually getting my hands on this money now. And it's like, yeah. I can actually spend some of this money that I'm starting to, to, yeah. to make. And the mindset is very, very different now than I had when I was back in Britain. And I, and I love that point that the, the mindset of it is that everybody, or, or certainly a, a great deal of people believe that, that this business of theirs is for someday to kind of cash it in. And, and, and for someday, this will all be worthwhile. And meanwhile, 10, 15, 20 years of their life is going by and they ain't any profit coming out of the business. Yeah, it's a, it's a form of deferred gratification. And um, there's a problem with that. We, we, I became resentful of my business and so many entrepreneurs I talk with say, I haven't been profitable, I haven't made any money, but maybe one day I will. But they start to resent their business. It's a reward mechanism when we start taking profit. It actually emboldens us. So when profit starts getting distributed, you're like, oh, I made some money. We actually become more enthusiastic about our business. So that concept of waiting and waiting decreases our business enthusiasm. But when we reward ourselves, it increases our business enthusiasm. And uh, we now have, well, it's well over 100,000 businesses that have implemented Profit First. We have about 3,000 documented case studies. And consistently, we see businesses that take their Profit First actually outpace their competition in both growth and profitability. The profitability part I'd expect because they're taking their profit first, yeah. but in the growth. And I think what it is, actually I know what it is, partly it's the enthusiasm of the entrepreneur saying, wow, it, uh, now they're making profit, let's, let's push this forward. But also it changes our considerations of the operations of the business. Yeah. You know, profit is made through two, there's only two ways to make it. Controlling the costs and increasing the margins. Now that's it. Yeah. But when you take your profit first, it makes you acutely aware of what you need to do because there's less money. So now next time you, you consider buying a new piece of equipment or a new uh, computer, the, the business says, well, you only have X dollars. You can't do that. And now you have to force yourself to think a different way saying, can we get used equipment? Can we create this ourselves? Can we get the same result in a better, uh, less expensive way? And so it, it makes us think in a much more frugal and disciplined way. 
but it also triggers uh, innovation. It, it, it triggers us to look at what has been historically working. Is there a certain type of customer base that's actually the most profitable? Many businesses don't even think of it that way, but when there's less money flowing into the business to operate it, you need to now think, who are my best customers? How do I clone them and get more of those best customers uh, to, to grow the business? And so you may start doing some innovative stuff in, in modifying your service set or your marketing specifically to this community. So taking your profit first is a reward mechanism, but it also forces you to grow your business more effectively. And that's why I'm such a proponent of this as opposed to that delayed gratification. So I, by the way, rarely does that pay off. Like yeah. I, I met a lot of people said, well, you know, 20 years from now when I sell my business, that's yeah. when I make my money. And most people never sell their business. And now they're, they're stuck with a, with a bag of crap. Well, they don't sell it. They'll never sell a business because it's never something that anybody wants to buy. Right. I mean, don't you want to buy something that's profitable, right? It's never been run in a way that it was ever efficient and profitable. And if it was, the business owner probably wouldn't want to sell it. Exactly. Now, I use it for three businesses. So we'll dig into the, to the sort of tactical aspect of how you do it in a moment. But for people listening, um, I use it for my physiotherapy business. I use it for my marketing business here in the US. And I also have a real estate company as well. I buy houses. Um, as a, a sort of investment cash flow vehicle, if you like. And I use the exact same thing that you've taught me in the book, the, you know, the envelope system, if you like, um, for th across three businesses. So uh, I just wanted to put that out for anybody listening who's thinking, well, I have an insurance business and my business is different and I have a cash-based business, so my business is different. Um, I'm living proof that this system works in all, all, you know, every single one of my businesses. And the thing that I really got from it, when I when, I, when I'd read your book and when I kind of went away and applied it, what, what I got, and, and I had a hard time uh, getting my accountant. I have an in-house financial controller who kind of looks after my group. And I, I had a hard time getting him to kind of accept this. And he's like, well, this is just, we're just moving money around and we're just kind of putting you know, this yeah. into this account and that into that account. Like, do we have to do it? I was like, yeah, because you don't realize what it forces us all to do, which was really shorten the feedback loop between what the hell is happening in the business and um, making a decision on changing what is happening in the business. I did exactly what you said, which was name one of my accounts, Paul's profit account. So instead of it just being the profit account, it actually says Paul's. Oh, I like Paul, that. So it's like Paul's profit account, right? And, and Beautiful. I've since, since told this story, and, it, and the reason it works is because if some money goes into that profit account, and I look at it on a Monday morning, I see Paul's money, right? If one of my staff rings me from England or, or wherever now and says, Paul, we haven't got any money in the OPEX and we need to move money from Paul's account, it's like, it's not happening. Like, yeah, yeah, you're like, no, 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 no money leaving Paul's profit account. Like, what do we need to do? Where can we get it from? What payments can we delay? How can we get some money in? What does accounts receivable look Beautiful. like? Yeah, because what you're doing, Paul, is you're playing into your natural behavior. And, and that's what the system is. It's a behavioral-based system. Many accountants at least the traditional accounts don't get it because they don't look at your bank accounts. They're not the ones logging in there on a daily basis. They look at this, the uh, income statement and so yeah. forth. They don't understand that we as business owners often revert to what I call bank balance accounting. Yeah. That's where I don't look at the income statement or balance sheet or I don't even know how to read a cash flow statement. What I do is I log into my bank account and if I have money, I'll spend it. And if I don't, I won't. Yeah. So knowing that that's the normal behavior of entrepreneurs, and try to, instead of trying to force change in our behavior, which is nearly impossible, what we need to do is have a system that captures our existing behavior. So what we do is we set these accounts at our bank. So now when you log in, money is allocated to a predetermined use. Before you spend it, you know what the intention of that, of that money is. And I have these generic names for it, but I encourage people, and you did it, Paul, 
give it something that's very visceral. And by calling it Paul's profit, you know what portion of that money has been allocated for what purpose before you even touch it. Yeah. And then this, this emotional kind of well builds up and we say, no, that money is my price for me, pal. Let's run the business better and differently with what we truly have available. And it's not, of course, not just profit. There's other accounts too, to ensure your taxes are cared for, yeah. to make sure you have a predictable salary for yourself, other elements to ensure not just the security of, of your, your company, but the security of yourself. What I call it is reverse engineering profit. If you want to have a 10 or 15% profit and we allocate that money, your business will tell you what it has to do with operating expenses. And if you can't do it, there's not something wrong with your profit. There's something fundamentally wrong with your business to support that profit. We need to fix the business. Fix that. We've done it for two years now. And I, every time I've had to pay my tax bill, I've probably been about $3,000 out one way or the other. Like it's it's literally that close. We could yeah. be sometimes more. We we're usually very conservative, and we put more in to the yeah. tax account than we'll have to pay. But every year for the last two years, I've had to to you know within five percent range the money that I've been or that I owe the tax man. Uh, at the end of the year and in the past it was always like oh shit you know like I, i've got this big tax bill coming where am i going to get it like i'm gonna have to move money back from my personal account back into the business it right, just wasn't card. organized so so now having that and and like you say we, we we'll get to the point of how you do it in a moment but the bigger picture on what it allows a business owner to do it's actually make decisions for the good of the business which is the business owner's job like there's no there is no other job of a business owner than to make a decision on what the people of the business are doing to generate the money that's actually coming in how do we get more of it or how do we stop some of it going out like that's, that's, that's exactly it that's exactly it and i love the your points to the taxes i can't tell you how many emails i get because it's, it's overwhelming now from people during tax season so in the u.s you know april 15th yeah. is the big day i get people loving that day like this sounds bizarre but they're like, I can't wait till tax day or my business pay my taxes. This is the happiest day of my life. It's a total juxtaposition compared to most of us before implementing a system like this. It's the most miserable day of our lives. Uh, you know, the, the, the stress that kicks in, we, we need to sell something quickly or we dig into our own pockets and we, we hope that our credit card can be used to pay taxes, which is ludicrous. And these stopped, are all they stopped that in England. They've actually brought out a law oh, recently that you can't. Well, I hope the U.S. follows England. I mean, can't even use a personal credit card anymore to pay your taxes. Yeah, because it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's such a downward spiral. The interesting thing is, this is another behavioral mechanism. So I, I don't know if you can see all these books up here. Almost yeah. all of them, except for one or two, are all about behavioral psychology because that's a, a passion of mine. I believe once we understand how our mind operates, we can create systems that work naturally with our mind. Well, one thing we experience is called loss aversion. Loss aversion is once we possess something, if it's threatened to be taken away from us, we'll go to extreme measures to retain it, often illogical. And that's what happens with taxes. We, we get the money. It goes into our pocket historically. Uh, we spend it or whatever, or we have it in our own savings account. Then the government puts our long arm out and pulls the money from us. We experience loss aversion. We're like, what are you doing? That's my money. You're stealing from me, government. Um, then we start doing illogical things to protect ourselves. Let's spend $10 with someone else so we can save $3 with the government. Yeah. And that starts this downward spiral. What's interesting is to the earlier point that your accountant said that you're just moving money around. We are just moving money around, but we're, we're mastering our behavioral psychology. When we put money into a tax account with it ever, without it ever coming to us, it just sits there. The business withholds this money to pay taxes. When tax time comes, now the money goes from the business to the uh, government 
we don't feel loss aversion. It wasn't our money. The yeah. business reserved it for us. Yeah. And there's this big behavioral shift. It's like, all right, I have this taken care of. We actually feel relief and good about it. So these are all different forms of behavioral psychology so that we don't have to change who we are, but we change the system around ourselves to get the results we want. Can you give me then, uh, so we've spoken about the why, really, the concept yeah. of why this thing works. Let's talk a little bit more granular, perhaps, of, yeah. in the book, I love the, the story, um, the envelope system, a, a kind yeah. of from a, a traditional kind of, you know, years and years ago in your family, um, your mother would kind of take some money, put it in an envelope, that's for the bills, that's for yeah. the food, that's for whatever. Talk to me about that and, and, and kind of help anybody listening understand how this uh, profit fast system could be implemented in their business. Yeah, so my mother's from Europe. She, she uh, came to the United States when she was about 25 from Germany yeah. and um, implemented the system at our house and we lived by it, our family did. And to your point, these are literally physical envelopes. She worked part-time at a local factory and when she would uh, come from work, she would uh, cash in the check and divide the money up based upon percentages to different accounts. And one was like, you know, the mortgage that my mother and father both contributed to. There was one for the church. There was one for food, one for emergencies and so forth. When she went food shopping, Paul, she would grab the food envelope and drive to the food mm -hmm. store and go shopping with it. And there was always enough money in there to go food shopping. Yeah. But the interesting thing is enough money doesn't mean the same amount. She was part-time, so she had volatile income like businesses do. She would work overtime and get more. She would uh, be sick or not available for work, and she would get less. So that money would vary in the food envelope. So she would, her behavior would be dictated by what's there, but it was always enough. So if it wasn't much money, you know, it's rice for dinner. If it was a lot of money, well, Germans eat liverwurst, which is, uh, the translation to English is disgusting. Absolutely just It's uh, liver sausage. Um, yeah. But she would shop with what was in there. This translates to our business. What we're gonna do is at your bank, and the reason this has to be, this is not a spreadsheet, uh, this has to be done at your bank because it intercepts our natural behavioral path. If you're an entrepreneur who logs into your bank account once a month or once a week or daily, or some people hourly, I'm one of those guys. <laughs> Hoping. Yeah, yeah, right, constantly open. It's like, come on, hourly. come on, it's like getting on the scales, yeah. It's like yeah, you're just like me. Just because you're on them, yeah. Because you do that, realize that's your natural behavioral path. We don't want to change that. We want to set up a system. So at the bank, we set up multiple accounts. There's five, what I call the five foundational accounts or the five foundational envelopes, if you will. The first one's called income. This is a depository only account. That's where the money accumulates. Second one's called profit. Profit, just to be clear about this, this is a reward to the shareholders of the business. Yeah. That means you either started the business or you invested in the business in some capacity. You bought into it or maybe you sweated into it, but you have taken on significant risk by owning a business because you are liable. If that business collapses, it's your problem. So that's for the risk takers. Just like uh, if you own public stock, when you get quarterly profit distributions from whatever public stock you own, they are rewarding you for taking risk, hoping the stock will go up, but it can go down. The next count is called owner's compensation. The I, I would argue at almost at any business I've ever visited, including my own physical therapist this morning, yeah. the owner is inevitably, for small businesses, the best employee the company will ever have. The owner works harder than anyone, knows more about the business, is more technically skilled, more sales skilled. So we need to reserve money for the true best employee, the owner. Owner's compensation is your salary as an owner. Profit is a distribution of bonuses for being a shareholder. Two different things. Next count called tax. That's the fourth account. 
taxes for what we already discussed, reserving taxes for your personal tax liability, but the business will address this for you. And this is regardless if you have a sole proprietorship or an LLC or LLP or an S corp or C corp, any kind of formation of organization, the business can pay its taxes. Just need to talk with your accountant on how you do it. Sometimes it's through what's called a reimbursement distribution. Other times it's a direct installment to the government. The last account is called OPEX. And that's, that's what supports the lifestyle of the business. Yeah. And so the money comes in the income account. It's like a serving tray. We then carve the money up to these other four envelopes. And then before you spend a dime, you now know what's available for what purpose. And you have to work within the confines of that envelope. Love it. Talk to me then. Um, anybody who's listening to this who's thinking, cool, I, I'm interested. I want to... I get this philosophy. I understand uh, the kind of human behavior side of it. I get that it'll shorten the feedback loop and it'll allow me to have to face up to problems in my business before the year has ended, therefore giving me an opportunity um, to rectify it and actually make the year profitable. Right. How would somebody now, uh, what would their first steps be? Is it to talk to an accountant or just go and do this thing? And like, like, cause yeah. I, I've, I've told my clients to do it. Right. And, and yeah. the ones who've done it have been very successful. Yeah. Their initial reaction is, but my accountant, how do I get past that? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first step is to just do it. Um, if an accountant gives you resistance, I suspect there's, there's usually one or two arguments they'll get, give you. First of all, they'll say no one else does this. Yes. And, uh, they're wrong. There's over a hundred thousand other businesses now doing it, but it is a new concept. I want to argue why the, or defend the accountant. They are trained in a very specific process of accounting. I think what's the gap here is entrepreneurs don't do accounting. This is a cash flow management system. Yes. It works with the entrepreneur's behavior of logging into bank accounts. Accountants don't see that gap often. So just realize they're defending a, uh, a process that, that the government developed. Yes. Uh, and they're trying to serve what's called compliance. They're making sure you comply with the law they don't see that you're actually running a business here. So that's, it's kind of a blind spot for many accountants. Um, the second reason the argument may get is like, why set these different accounts? Do it in a spreadsheet or do it elsewhere. Yeah. Again, they don't understand the natural behavioral path. If you have an accounting system, whatever it is, QuickBooks or Sage or Peachtree or whatever, all those accounting systems already actually can allocate for different purposes. My question for entrepreneurs is, how's that serving you? And most entrepreneurs say, I don't even look at it. I look at my bank accounts. And that's why the accounting system for this component of cash management is irrelevant. But for you as an entrepreneur, the action is this. Just get it set up. It, it is, uh, Profit First is accounting agnostic, meaning it doesn't matter how you do your accounting. Profit First has, is an umbrella over it, and it'll link or work with any form of accounting. Your accountant may have to set one or two or maybe five or six general ledger accounts. It takes three minutes per account to get it set up, if even, in your accounting system. But go set it up immediately. Now, here's the one other tip. When businesses try to set up the entire system, and we just started scratching the surface here, there's more steps to it, yeah. it can get overwhelming. And I learned from a coach, I'm preparing for an athletic event, uh, preparing for like a marathon, for example, and my coach, the first day of practice said, okay, the first day of preparing for a marathon, you don't run a marathon. Like the first yeah. day is stretching, <clears throat> form, yeah. And, and the problem with that I see with Profit First is when people understand the concept, they're like, I'm all in on this. They do the entire thing. It's such yeah. a juxtaposition. It's such a, a shift, I should say, in their business from what it used to be that it, it causes harm. So here's the simple two steps. Step one today, go to your bank and set up only one account. Let's just get started there. 
make it a savings account and call it profit. That should yeah. take, you know, in the U.S. it takes 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes uh, of visit time with your bank to set up that one savings account called profit. Step two, allocate 1% of your income. So if $100 comes in, I'm saying take a buck, put it in the account. Because I know this, if you can run your business currently uh, off $100 deposits, that means you can run your business off $99 deposits. It's inconsequential in the operations of your business. It's highly consequential in how you start perceiving profit because now you're taking it first. And that's when the muscle starts to build. You know, two, three months from now, you say, well, I'm doing 1% no-brainer. Let's try 2%. Yeah. And then three and then 10 and it grows and grows. And then over time, and maybe it takes a year, but over time, all the accounts get set up and these businesses start scaling so quickly in both profitability and their growth because they're so narrowly focused. Um, that's how you get started. Yeah, love it. For me, I, and I, I'm going to reinforce it to everybody listening. The, the biggest reason for doing this and, and for somebody who does it, I can't stress enough of what it forces you to do, which is have to make better decisions about your business. That if yeah. you realize on a Monday that that profit can't go in or needs to leave your profit account to cover operating expenses, then the business is being run inefficiently. And, and that's it. Like it, it, it forces it. you at 9.30 a.m. on a Monday to think critically about the business and not just spend all week thinking that we need more patients. And that that for everybody listening to this podcast, they're constant non-stop never-ending solution to their problem in their business is always can i just get more patience and, and it, it for 80 percent of the people it isn't it's our problem but their internal running of the business is usually where the money is um lost that causes them more harm than any new patients arriving would cause them good so having this forces you to think critically which is why most people listening will hate it at first because for the first two or three months, it's like, oh shit, you actually realize how bad and how inefficient things are. But that is actually the wake up call that most people need rather than what Mike's talking about here, which is most businesses kind of modus operandi is arrive in front of their accountant two months after the year's end to be told that there was no money in the business. And it's kind of like, good luck, you know, try again next year kind of uh, scenario. So we're trying to get I teach in a, in a concept of what's called a cockpit. In uh, you know, imagine if you're flying a plane, and what you want to know ahead of time before the flight lands is the dials. You know, you need to see the dials. How much fuel have you got left? What's the the, the pressure like up there? Like you need to know all of these things to make sure that you're going to hit the runway and you don't land like 200 meters before the runway and into the ocean. That mm-hmm. that's the same kind of concept. It's like I want to know ahead of the month or before the month ends how this business is doing never mind wait till three months after the business the the year end is over to be told that it was a good year or or it wasn't it's too risky so a question um for you um how this is a big one how do you balance then retaining profit and reinvesting in the business how do we juggle that like how because again the popular mantra is reinvest for the long haul and i'm seeing all that on facebook right now with a few people it's like you know put your money back into the business and don't buy a home i I watched somebody recently say oh don't even invest in a house i'm like Like, it, it can't be to that detriment what's the point of running a business if we can't even buy our family a fucking house it's like right get real so so yeah. at what point at what point and how do we start to decide um we're making some money but like when is it you know when is it actually yeah. okay to put it back into the business yeah so the terms that are used i hear all the time i need to reinvest or plow back another one or push back yeah. right so it's the three terms so what they're saying is any money left over if i have anything which would have been deemed a profit i'm going to return it to the business as an expense yeah. so what we're saying and this is the biggest 
point of clarity people need is when you plow back, push back, you're simply spending more money, right? So you're saying, I want to spend more money. And we need to be clear about that because the, the challenge many entrepreneurs have is they spend money arbitrarily. It's on thoughts. Oh, we should do this. We, oh, now we have the money to do that. There is no quantification of the return it's going to bring about. So a lot of spending is very arbitrary. Oh, people are spending money on Facebook. I should do that. Yeah. And we go in that without so really understanding how it operates or, you know, we should open a new facility or whatever. So many pushbacks, reinvestments, plowbacks are arbitrary and therefore highly ineffective or even damaging to a business because it causes more distraction. You allocate money towards something, then you got to allocate people and resources to it. And they're, they're maybe even being removed off something that's working. So what I say the first step is, is we need to determine what's working. The less money we actually have available for the business, it naturally forces us to look at what's working. When there's less money to spend on Facebook ads uh, and you have to choose between Facebook and uh, uh, you know, doing a, attending a conference and having a trade booth or I don't know what they could be, you then have to start evaluating each one and making choices. And that is the, the definition of a good business where we're quantitatively evaluating what works and what doesn't work. Well, once you identify what works, that's the thing you want to amplify. But how you amplify is by jettisoning the things that don't work, which frees up actually money within your operating expenses. You don't need to touch profit. And now you can concentrate on what's working. So when it comes to when should I reinvest or plow back, I say never. Uh, or, or, or only, I take it back, only, only on cases where you know that you're going to get a guaranteed return in excess of your investment within a very short time period, yeah. 60 or 90 days. But it's guaranteed. And most people can't guarantee it because they've never thought at that level. So I argue, always take your profit first, take it off the table. It forces the business to become more focused. The other point I also want to make is when it comes to why people want to reinvest, I go, what, what, what's your intention behind it? And they say, well, because I want to grow the business more. I say, why do you want to grow the business? They say, because I want to get bigger. I say, why do you want to get bigger? And they say, so I can make more money. And I said, okay, and make more money means what? They say, well, so I have more for me at the end. I say, okay, so you want to be more profitable, right? They say, exactly, that's it. I say, well. What are you going to do then? <laughs> yeah, then? Then we need to start with being more profitable. We need, this is, profit is a habit. Yeah. Profit is not an event. Profit is a habit. We need to bake it into every transaction or business. I love that phrase. That's my favorite phrase of yours, baking profit into your yeah, business. Yeah, profit is a habit. We need to bake it into every transaction for a business. And waiting for profit, hopefully, to happen one day without building the, the discipline, it's like saying, I've never worked out before. I'm not going to work out, but one day I'm going to go into the gym and bench 300 pounds or something ridiculous. It will rip your shoulders out. We need to start with 50 pounds and start building up that muscle. Yeah. It's just like anything else. We need to build the profit muscle. Tell me about your PT experience. So tell me where you've been to. Dude, awesome. So uh, I, I have a shoulder injury um, from... <laughs> coincidentally from you, you do realize you're going to get about a million emails now telling you what to do with your shoulder. yeah from working yeah so from working out it's actually arthritis it was diagnosed so i went to a shoulder doctor and he says you have arthritis booked pt and um it's been remarkable i i would say i'm now i've been going for like six or seven sessions uh i would say i'm about 100 percent flexibility and movement and pain has been reduced extraordinarily the funny thing is maybe this speaks to profit first, it's these little micro movements and stretches that have become the game changer. Yeah. Um, just by doing a couple unique stretches, the sleeper stretch is now my new favorite. Okay. Um, 
I didn't even wear these, these things existed and the impact's been profound. That, that's the funny thing. And I, I just want to tie this back to profit first. Sometimes the simplest solution is the most profound and impact. I think some people negate profit first are very skeptical of it. And I get it because it's, it's too simple. It's too easy. It can't be that easy. And that's what I said about PT. I'm like, my shoulder's killing me. I can barely move it. I think I need an operation, you know, cortisone shots. And the, the PT experts like, no, no, the therapist is like, no, we're just going to do these movements and these movements and uh, just watch what happens in just a few sessions. And I'm like, holy crap, this works. It can't be that easy, but it is. Yeah, it's um, again uh, 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 you know, the 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 concept of um, the practice. Uh, it's common. Co there's a big difference between common sense and common practice. Is a great phrase. Yes. And um, again, I'm going to tie this tie this back because I, I can see people or already predict people's brains wrestling now with like, I kind of want to do this and it, it sounds so simple. And I've got to take it back to the concept of of if you're a business owner. I believe most people, when they're in business, they don't truly understand what a business owner's job is. And they're, they're so stuck in the doing of the thing. So in our case, the majority of people listening to this podcast are trying to get to kind of the business owner status. And, yeah. and, and a lot of them are still stuck in 25, 30 hours a week, looking at hamstring, looking at your shoulder, which yeah. is kind of fine, which is fine when you start there. But many of them are still there 15, 20 years in. And yeah. that's the problem. That's they're, the problem. They're, they're getting 10 or 12 people around them in a team and they've got all of these interactions going on and they've got all of this system stuff and all of these bills coming in, cash flow and so on. And, and most of their brain is still in the super spinatus tendon of, of Mike who's coming in, you know, kind of this week. The, the job of the business owner in, in my eyes is to leverage the team and to track and monitor and understand the numbers and, and the behaviors of the business. That's yes. it. And, and profit fast, this is why I love it, profit fast forces you to do that, that, it, that, that the actual concept itself is simple, but it's what it reveals about the business that forces you to make better decisions about that business and the people of that business to get more from them. Or do you actually even need the people that you've got, which is often, I'm actually a fan and, and my teaching is uh, more from less. So I, yeah. I built yeah. a very big business at one point in England in terms of volume and it got very quick. It got very big, very quick. I studied marketing and it grew very, very fast. And, and at the time I kind of didn't understand numbers and cash flow and things. I was just a very good marketer and I, and I thought that was business. And that caused me problems because I realized I was becoming more inefficient just because I had yeah. people. It didn't necessarily mean I had profit. I just had bigger expenses. When yeah. I started to understand all of this stuff, I actually started to ask, how can I grow a bigger business in terms of profit with less people? The ultimate in, in innovation. Now I've got less new patients coming through the door, but they're all spending more money with me. Oh. And now I, I need less staff, so I've got less overhead, less worries, less, you know, less maternity kind of issues to deal with, less sicknesses to deal with, all of the stuff that was driving me mad in the past. But it was all because I started to realize what my job was, which was as a business owner, to make better decisions about the people um, and the systems that I got um, within that business. So last question for you. Uh, yeah. uh, innovation. Uh, and again, I love your, your, one of your quotes. Innovation fac uh, facilitates growth. What can physical therapists do then? So, so physical therapists, you've had experiences yourself. How could, um, how could they innovate um, to get growth? Yeah, so I always believe by starting off in the niches because the riches are truly in the niches. Who's the specific community you can serve? What we have to realize is that 
people come to a physical therapist in one of two scenarios. Scenario one is they see us as a necessity. I shouldn't even say necessity, more of a commodity. My doctor prescribed is I have to do this. And what I want to look for is the most convenient choice. Someone that's local to me and uh, will, will be the least damaging of my purse strings, the cheapest, right? There's also a faction of customers that see this as a necessity. Yeah. It is life altering, right? What you do is uh, when, when my shoulder's going again, you've altered my life. Like you, it's even hard to explain until you've been injured, right? To know what constant pain means and the alleviation of that, how that changes my life, the appreciation I have for it. So, but that's only a smaller faction of customers. But we want to focus on that smaller faction. Why? Because they are looking for the permanent solution. They see this as life-altering, and therefore, convenience isn't the number one choice. Resolution is the number one choice. They want to find the specialist. You know, if we look at doctors, there's general practitioners and there's heart surgeons. You go to a general practitioner uh, because they're convenient. You know, it's, it's an obligation. You go, you get checked up. But if you have a heart attack, you don't go to the general practitioner and say, hey, you, you mind trying the first time ever heart surgery on me? No. You will, you will circumnavigate the globe to find the right person for your exact ailment because your life is literally on the line. And we will pay an extraordinary premium. Well, this is true in all spaces, any kind of business. Physical therapy, too. There are certain customers that see a resolution to their very specific situation as life-altering, and therefore will travel great distances to use your services, they will pay a massive premium if you solve that. So the innovation is simply this, focus on a community. Uh, And the easy way to get started for many business owners is look at your existing client base, because you already have them, who are truly your best customers. Uh, And there's two, two measures for this. They pay you well and regularly, right? That you make the most money from them, that they're demonstrating through their actions by spending with you that they really value you. So that's why we measure that. The second question is, of those people, who do you enjoy working with? I mean, some of them can be real schmoes and you're like, oh, I, I could deal without this person ever showing up again. Other ones bring you joy. Once we find the intersection of clients that pay you extremely well and they bring you joy, those are the ones we want to clone. And our simple objective is meet with those customers, ask them why they come to you, ask them how it's affecting their lives, and then cater to that community. You may find out miraculously you're good at uh, serving women who are currently pregnant uh, yeah. but need physical therapy, or maybe you're better at uh, specific sport injuries for lacrosse players, or, or, or maybe infants, or you know whatever, it goes on and on. But find that community, and then you target and care to them to the extreme, and you'll attract the customers who are willing to pay a massive premium where even insurance and those considerations are irrelevant to them because yeah. your service is so life altering for them. I love it. I love it. It's, um, it's the, the exact thing that I did to grow my business, which was the majority of the profession believe that they're there to serve everybody and anybody. And yeah, it's kind of, let's, let's open the doors and, and, and it's yeah. a, it's, it's, it happens for a couple of reasons. One that PT school kind of conditions you to believe that you can treat and help everybody and you kind of have this thing inside you as the healthcare that you do want to help everybody that's that's kind of why people are in business sure. but then when you open the doors you kind of defy the you're trying to defy the rules of business by being for everybody and and for me the way i was able to get more from less was by innovating in the way that mike's just described which was to get very clear on a patient who was 55 year old her name is mary two grandkids she likes to go to pilates she loves yoga likes to keep active just wants to go to her walking clubs kind of you know loves her health doesn't want to take pills we got very very clear on who that person was and we could market to her but this where the innovation came in 
it meant that because we knew who she was, we also knew what other problems she had. Yes. As in, what else was she buying with somebody else that I could sell to her? Or, or I, at the very least, I could offer it to her. Because if she was going to somewhere like Massage Envy, why was I not providing a massage service? If she was buying a pair of orthotics from, you know, Shawl or whoever it is online, why was I not selling her them? If she was buying orthopedic pillows from somebody, why was I not selling her them? Every single aspect of my business became for this one person. So instead of having... 18 different customers and one product, I ended up with one customer and 18 different products that that same person repeatedly buys from me year after year after year after year. And that's how I got more from less. And, and the beauty in that scenario is now you're, you're, you're linking these things together. You know, because of the pillow she used, what the expected result is, and you can actually serve her better through physical therapy. When a customer is forced to jump around for different elements, then there's no cohesion. It's like, well, what pill are they using? So you actually have more information to serve them even better. And the right customers will recognize that. The other thing though, I want to point back to the, when we started our first PT business, you know, any customer is a good customer. Yeah. And uh, I, I want to recognize in the very beginning, you need money. If there's no yeah, sales going, going in, yeah, get going. so you have to do that. But very quickly, that need for money becomes very devious yes. uh, because what happens is we start serving different customers with different needs. So we start doing different things. Yeah. Um, we, we have to expand our service set. We actually start diluting our ability to do any one thing. Well, in fact, we'll take on customers just because we need money desperately. So even if we can't really service them. We'll say, yeah, come on in the door and we'll figure it out. Yeah. And when, when you do anything for anybody at any price, that's the definition of prostitution. Just, yeah. just so we're on the same page. We actually start prostituting our business. No, we're going to become very focused on a particular type of customer, excel in catering to them, and we can dictate a massive premium as a result because we are life-altering for them. Incredible. So, Mike, um, we've got you at the uh, Mastermind event. Uh, you're going to be speaking for us yeah. uh, 30th of June. The event is the 29th and 30th of June in uh, Nashville 2019, um, which I'm very, very excited about. So you're going to speak to my audience. Uh, we'll talk through Profit First, Clockwork, um, Surge, whatever. Uh, elements of running a business that we're going to dig into across um, that, that seminar for us. How else can people find out more about you? Where, where can they go to get uh, stuff from you? Until we meet face-to-face, -face, uh, the virtual connections through my website, it's MikeMichalowitz.com. I do have a shortcut for it. It's MikeMotorbike.com. The reason is Mika no one can spell Michalowitz. I struggle <laughs> with it. Uh, motorbike, Mike Motorbike was my nickname in high school. The irony is I've never driven a motorcycle, but just try to visualize me driving one anyway. Um, I never will. But go to MikeMotorbike.com. On there, all my books, uh, free chapter downloads. I'm a podcaster. I'm a blogger. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. All that content is waiting there to help your business to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty, and it's all for free. Amazing. Thank you. I'm going to end it by saying that I am a true student of, of uh, the Profit First and the insights and the decisions, which remember is for me, the real and only job of a business owner is to make better decisions about the assets that you've got, which is your people and your systems. You can only do that by knowing what the hell is going on ahead of time and sitting in front of your accountant three months after the year has ended is not the best time to be making decisions about the game that's effectively already uh finished so mike uh, i know you've got other things with the profit first for me is the one that absolutely uh has really helped me in three different businesses so i want to say thank you uh for that thanks for your time and i'm very 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 excited to spend uh, some time with you in nashville and get to meet you in person. i can't so, wait thank you very much for coming up paul thank you so much
Thanks for listening to the Physical Therapy Business School podcast. If you're ready to join the 4% Club Mastermind Program to help you manage and grow a profitable PT clinic, get in touch by sending an email to paul at paulgoff.com to find out if there's any openings. And we'll talk to you again real soon next week on another episode of Paul Goff's Physical Therapy Business School podcast. Until then, have an amazing day.